0: This is the OANDA podcast brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Well, you're listening to the OANDA Market Insights podcast with me, Johnny Hart. Each week, we preview and review all the market and business stories from across the week with OANDA senior market analysts across the world, including Craig Earlham in London and Ed Moyer in New York. Good afternoon, fellas.
1: Good afternoon. Hello
0: there. Well, of course, uh, it's non-farm payroll day, and let's first get your thoughts on the latest uh, US jobs figures. The unemployment rate falling quite sharply in August as some firms uh, begin to hire new staff again and uh, temporary hiring boosted job numbers as well. Ed, uh, your thoughts first on this. Uh, Market reaction very negative this morning and this afternoon, but is that directly because of those employment figures?
2: I, I think initially we saw there was a little bit of a, a bid for risk appetite. There was optimism that, wow, this this was, a, for the most part, a surprisingly uh, better than expected employment report. Uh, the headline uh, change in non-farm payrolls uh, was slightly higher at $1.37 um you know, down from the the prior month, but still, you know, better than expected, still a fourth consecutive month of million plus gains in jobs. And uh, as you highlighted, you know, that unemployment rate, that surprised everyone. Uh, um, That was, uh, you know, better than all the economists um, estimates and in in the survey. And and I think what we're starting to see is that uh, there there was a a little bit of uh, a surprise there that, wow, this, you know, this, this unemployment rate is at 8.4 percent, while uh, when you you know take into consideration what the Fed was anticipating, uh, just a, a rate closer to 9 percent at the end of the year, 9.3. Um, you know that you know things have improved uh, dramatically, but I think as you dig into the details um, and you 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 know dissect this report as you mentioned uh, you know the, the the temporary layoffs you know those guys are are are, are, are getting their jobs back uh, that component fell three million to uh about 6.2 million which is a lot better than the high we saw at the peak of the pandemic at 18 million but when we take a look at what is happening with the permanent job losses that rose that's still above 3 million and i I think that is really telling a a big story because um yes this was a good report there's no denying that the participation rate increased Uh, more people got jobs but there's still too much permanent damage to the labor market. And right now there's no signs that uh, we're going to have um, much more fiscal support in the, in the short term. I think a lot of the the strong numbers we've seen was because you had the Fed do what they did. And more importantly, Congress was able to deliver uh, all these uh, um, programs to support small businesses and, and um, a lot of these jobs And, and, and that, is starting to fade. So uh, I think you're going to see that the labor market rebounded Yes, it's intact, uh, but there is there there's still going to be pressure uh, going forward. I think um, and and, and, and there, I think the unemployment rate is still going to be elevated, uh, and and uh, I, you should not be surprised if we did have a, a, a very disappointing uh, next month uh, report. So, uh, a very volatile session, and uh, I, I think there was a lot of a lot of uh, drivers though. Really, um, kind of a uh, you know providing the, the catalyst for today's, today's extended uh, sell-off.
0: Yeah, I'll come to the sell-off in a moment or two, but I'm wondering, Craig, whether there are clues for the UK in terms of what's happening in the US as far as jobs are concerned, because all of these measures, uh, and uh, Ed alluded to, there's measures from Congress uh, which are trying to uh, keep uh, unemployment at bay We've got that in the UK and it's very difficult to really read these numbers, isn't it? Because we don't know how short, medium or long term the figures are.
1: Exactly. And I think it also differs greatly country by country. It's uh, always worth noting that you look at the number of people, for example, who have returned to work or returned to the office uh, in parts of Europe compared to the UK. And you see very Different numbers, yet we all have these employment support schemes uh, in place. Uh, the U.S. and the U.K. You can see, obviously, the way they they, they measure the unemployment makes things difficult uh, to compare. But the one thing that we all have in common is that we're facing a, a winter where the, many uh, many many people, many epidemiologists, etc., are anticipating difficult times as far as the potential for significant second spikes uh, and this is going to be a major test for the labor market as well many people will have been temporarily laid off who've been welcomed back into work as these economies have reopened if we see major second spikes uh, are we going to see a, a similar response as far as the labor market is concerned or will this be the kind of straw that breaks the camels back. So that's going to be a major test as well. Obviously, across winter, people spending more time indoors, seeing more families, etc. This can um, or this is why we do get these kind of regular flu seasons at this time of year. So I do think it's encouraging, as Ed said, there's plenty to be encouraged about about this jobs report. And I'm sure we're going to see evidence of that across others as well. Uh, there's there's still enormous uh, risk though um, as far as that is concerned. So I think I think we should be we we should have plenty of promise, but um, also be um, maybe cautiously optimistic rather than get too carried away with the data that we're seeing.
0: Going back to the stock market numbers that you mentioned before, Ed. I mean, massive falls in some of the markets in the U.S. Nasdaq nearly four and a half percent as we speak. S and P down two percent. Uh, the Dow Jones, uh, 1.35. and um, so, um, taking the unemployment numbers out of the equation, why is this sell-off continuing following uh, Thursday's route?
2: It seems the tech bubble kind of, uh, bursted, uh, <laughs> um, right now. And, uh, I, I think we, we had just a tremendous amount of, uh, froth in the market. Uh, I think most of the summer, the, uh, the, one of the key stories, uh, that's been told is that you had the small retail trader that kept piling into the teslas into apple and to all the all the the, the the high flyers in tech and you had the institutional investor who was very skeptical of the, the, the the relief rally and uh the, the the stock market just continued to climb higher and uh, it was led by the nasdaq and, and right now what we're seeing um there there is a there were, were signs last week of a rotation into cyclicals because once you know the the, the broader economy improves, we're, we're going to you know need to see uh, pretty much everyone uh, play catch up. And 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 right now, though, I, I think uh, these valuations got out of hand, and and now you're seeing uh, the a lot of a mass exodus out of out of tech right now, and you're having um, a retail trader that has been uh, you know for the most part. Uh, Fairly enjoying a rather easy market, <laughs> just uh, just uh, riding the, the the strong trend, and, and now there's there's uh, uh, I think a, a, a tremendous amount of nervousness in the market, and uh, there's uh, expectations too that you know you you could see that um, the beginning. Of a uh, post-pandemic uh, trading environment could be uh, close closely upon us. I think there's a there's a lot of optimism here on the the, the vaccine developments that you know we we could get some um, very very uh, hopefully uh, positive results from uh, AstraZeneca mid September, Moderna and Pfizer. They're um, hoping to have their their results before our, the the FDA's uh, meeting on October 22nd. So. There, there's 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 all these big bets on vaccines and uh, you know when when the the vaccine is in place hopefully uh, you're, you're gonna see that be uh, continue to drive the, the rotation out of tech into cyclicals and 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 the the big wild card, too is you know we have this presidential election which right now with where polls are going uh, you know Trump is narrowing the chipping away at biden's lead but right now there's there's a concern that you know we we could still see a blue wave and uh what would a blue wave mean well biden will be harder on regulation and on taxes and that would really kind of um, take away um some of that luster for those uh big tech stocks
0: and it was interesting to see those predictions of a vaccine uh, coming from the United States as early as uh, it predicted, and uh, coincidentally, it just happened to be in you know the uh, early part of November, late October, maybe just in time for the election, or well, what you know, eh?
2: I know it's a. Uh, I, I think uh, the one thing that President Trump did do a very strong job in is uh, making sure that every resource is used in in trying to. Um, Get this vaccine ready, uh, not necessarily for testing, <laughs> um, but uh, he he really did uh, make sure that. Um the U.S. is allotting a lot of these uh, vaccines and hopefully they pan out, Um, but there's there's still a a tremendous amount of uncertainty. You know, all the scientists, you know, you know, we have to wait until you get the phase three results. Um, But I I think even today, you you, you know, we we, we saw even uh, some surprising reports uh, out of Russia, you know, the Lancet, Lancet uh, Medical Journal, uh, you know, reviewing uh, the uh, russian vaccine and, and that one provided uh you know the phase one and two results were uh, pretty pretty um positive so i think there's just there's like really 30 big vaccine um, uh, trials out there and i think that there's there's high hopes that some of these are going to pan out um, and and uh, right now if that's the case that is really uh, a key component for the recovery for i think a for the cyclicals and for a lot of these other indices that don't have um heavy tech exposure
0: it's going to make a great movie one day isn't it the race for the vaccine with all these different companies from different continents and countries uh trying to to find the answer to save the world um craig we heard from ed about the tech stocks and uh, we were talking off air about the eye-watering amount that apple until the latter part of this week was valued at uh, well over two uh, trillion, wasn't it? Two trillion dollars, I think it was, uh, which is um, you, you mentioned almost the value of the UK at the moment.
1: Yeah, uh, it's. It, I mean, it's just it's quite remarkable. It, you know, these comparisons always pop up, and it does just uh, make you wonder. It does just um make you kind of realize just what kind of valuations a lot of uh, a lot of these things have uh, and like you say it is it is just quite staggering I and mean, the other thing that we have to look at with apple is that we have seen a massive decline over the course of the last few days it's fallen almost 20 percent across the three trading sessions but that only takes it back about three weeks from where it was trading at then so when, we, when we're talking about just how big a sell-off these uh, markets are experiencing you have to put everything into perspective and ultimately that that sell-off seems a lot uh, on the face of it but uh, three weeks ago you wouldn't have said that this is an extremely cheap stock so maybe uh, can you really uh, take the the same kind of stance now. I think these are going to remain extremely volatile. I do think there's always going to be interest ultimately, but uh, we these have kind of been pandemic-proof stocks. So this almost seems as if the longer the lockdown lasts or the more we remain restrained, the better they're ultimately going to do. And I think that's one of the reasons why this week has been the kind of trigger point for many of these stocks is you've seen a lot of good data from the US, whether it's the manufacturing PMI going back to Tuesday uh, and onwards into this jobs report. So maybe the the kind of economy opening up, people doing well, people leaving their homes, going back to work, etc., means that some of the more traditional companies who have been ravaged by this pandemic crisis um, could actually have an opportunity to enjoy part of this recovery as well. And that may come partly at the expense of these tech stocks. And, and that seems to be the kind of movements that we are starting to see. It'll be interesting to see how long that lasts, though, because the FOMO trade just doesn't necessarily go away. And there's going to be a lot of people looking at someone, a company like Apple now saying 20% down, I'd have prayed for this a week ago. Maybe mm. this is the part where you start to get that kind of buy the dip FOMO attitude uh, pops back in and some of these get get bought up again. And there's some which are, do it, which are down a lot more than Apple. You look at Tesla, you look at Zoom uh, and some of these other tech names. And people may start to get interested again, just purely on the fact that they're trading at such a heavy discount where they were as early as Monday.
0: Sounds almost as if uh, Apple and uh, those digital stocks have become a bit like gold. You know, they're the inverse of the other more uh, traditional uh, stocks where, you know, if people start to get worried, they run for the techs rather than uh, the the traditional stocks. And uh, that's a bit like gold used to be or still is, of course. Or am I just sort of making that up off the top of my head?
1: No, I mean, you you will hear them referred to at times as a safe haven, a pandemic safe haven, because, like you say, they're they're one of the the few names that have actually done well throughout this. Uh, throughout this crisis and we are living in a high, in a liquidity-filled market and the cash has to go somewhere, the search for yield has to go somewhere and when you have um, companies whose doors are shut and who can't sell or who have massive barriers to profitability and then you have another company like Amazon uh, whose uh, delivery drivers are the busiest they've ever been, then, you, then they do tend to generate a, a pandemic proof, safe haven uh, yeah. kind of reputation and that's why when we're seeing the data improving, I think we are seeing that, take quite a hit
0: and uh, as you were talking about before red the vaccine trials and the, the seemingly reasonably successful trials at the moment though it's too early to say i mean if if the vaccine trials prove more positive then apple stocks go down and uh, vice versa
2: in theory you would see i think you would see um the broader market would be positive you would see um, risky assets uh, really uh, thrive off of that news um cyclicals would outperform i think apple would still be positive i, I don't think i think i think that right now you're you, if if let's let's say by the end of this uh uh tech meltdown um we we see apple settle down about 10 percent i think uh from that point you would probably still see people be constructive um i, I don't think that would be the, the key case for um a lot of those other um high flyers that um craig mentioned before but um i, I think apple is 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 pretty much as close as a safe haven asset as you get right now in this market. Um, so I think um, even even with the the vaccine developments, I think that the whole um, outlook with five G and uh, just uh, you know what people are going to be updating their iPhones I think this is the longest period that they haven't um, you know a- Apple's looking at a very strong 2021 so I think there's a tremendous amount of optimism for Apple uh, going forward and even even despite you know you know the the, the run it's had I think uh, you're, you're still seeing that 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 um, is is that position is not really going to be altered that much by many portfolio managers.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to add as well. I mean, obviously, we're talking about these as a safe haven. That doesn't mean that as risk appetite returns and the economy recovers, it's all downhill from here. We're not going to be looking at an inverse relationship suddenly between risk appetite and these tech stocks. It's only while they're extremely frothy that you're, that you're going to see this kind of relationship unfold. It's more, as Ed said, is it's more likely to be that we'll see them underperform some of the other names rather than necessarily dive like they have over the course of the last few days we have to remember apple is still releasing a 5g phone at some point uh it, it, it before the end of the year so the, there's still reasons why many of these names could continue to look attractive but they are just good. the 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 recovery as it were the, the the reopening of the economy and the successful of that is more is a slight headwind rather than uh, rather than something that's going to push them back to pre-pandemic levels Craig, I wanted to
0: ask you about the comments from uh, one of the members of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee, uh, Michael Saunders. Um, And he's talking about the rapid economic recovery that's happening at the moment, which could stall in the coming months, potentially... Pushing the bank to ramp up quantitative easing.
1: I think the central bank still have a little bit, a little bit more to do. Uh, it doesn't have to be as aggressive or as, um, uh, as as much of an emergency response as it has been over the course of the last six months. But I think there is a little bit more to run. The Bank of England's last QE increase really just saw them through to the end of the year. So it was always likely that before we hit the end of the year, there was a a strong chance that the Bank of England was going to have to increase its QE programme once again, probably seeing it through to the middle of 2021. They're not the only central bank who's going to be doing that, though. There's a lot of speculation now with the ECB. The ECB obviously meeting next Thursday and there's a lot of focus around whether when they are going to effectively increase their uh, asset purchase program probably through the the, uh, emergency PEP uh, scheme uh, because we are seeing a slowdown um, in the recovery there where the UK may be a little bit behind because the reopening happened later we're seeing a spike in cases again where the UK could be behind and again as I mentioned earlier the fact that we are heading into the winter months it is likely that we will see a surge more broadly uh, in the number of cases and again, that could have a negative economic implications, because one of the reasons why I think these number of these economies are doing well is because confidence is improving. People aren't necessarily quite as fearful as they were uh, a month or two ago. Uh, If we do see these uh, rise in the number of cases and uh, and people start to see the impact of that, then that is going to hit sentiment as well. And that has uh, a bit of a, a slightly longer term impact. Uh, As far as the EU is concerned as well, we are likely to see more stimulus uh, because the data that we've seen and also because earlier this week, inflation actually went negative. So now you've got a slowing economy, rising COVID cases and negative inflation in the EU. So that meeting on Thursday is going to be really interesting. I know we normally cover that later in the show, but it seems very relevant that the ECB is likely to move before the Bank of England, but both of them could equally uh, increase uh, their stimulus at some point before the end of this year.
2: I think we have to pay close attention to how the markets react when the when everything opens because uh, U.S. markets and Canada are closed for Labor Day on Monday. So, um, illiquid conditions. We could see some uh, some uh, extended moves um, overnight. So, I think that's going to be very close important to watch. And uh, I, I think uh, the uh, the focus is going to stick with uh, U.S. and China trade relations. Um, this uh, this past week, we saw China announce that they were going to have some new policies to help uh, develop their own domestic semiconductor industry. And that is kind of one of the things that helped really uh, kick off this tech market uh, sell-off. So I think it's going to be important to see exactly what happens um, with this tit-for-tat battle that we're going to continue to see between the U.S. and Chinese. On Wednesday, the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission, they're going to hold a a public hearing, and we're probably going to hear more comments on China's efforts for their economy, their military capabilities. That's been another red flag. So tensions are just likely to intensify leading up to the election. So we're going to uh, see that be a, a key focal point, and uh, I, I think that uh, on the U.S., everyone is in election mode right now. Uh, the Trump is chipping away at that lead, and it's going to be it, it's going to be important to see exactly how far uh, how close this election comes because the the risks are you know somewhat growing that you we could see a contested election we might not get the results immediately on election night and uh, wall street hates uncertainty so that's going to be something that is going to be closely watched uh, and um, as far as the the data point goes in, in the us we have inflation on uh, we have a uh, jobless claims on thursday which is, is always important. And then um, on, on Friday, we have uh, some uh, key uh, inflation data. It's consumer prices, they're expected to climb again for a third straight month. Um, however, it, it's nothing to, to really get the Fed worried. So, but uh, if we continue to see higher prints and we have seen um, the last month, we, we saw some higher readings, uh, that could be concerning for the Fed. So right now um, we'll pay a close eye on that, but you know this one report is not gonna move the, the needle on anything.
1: Yeah, I think Ed's covered pretty much everything. The only thing I'd add is uh, we've got the Bank of Canada next week, but there's no changes expected there. And the other thing which is probably the least interesting of them all is that Brexit talks are resuming on Monday, another week in London, uh, between uh, Mr Frost and uh, Mr Barnier. Um, I I don't expect it to yield anything. Uh, The the talks have been going on for a long time now. The sticking points continue to be fishing rights and uh, level playing field. We have to remember that there's an October deadline and it's only September, which means that there's still a lot of time uh, for this tit-for-tat to continue and uh, we're nowhere near that uh, that ultimate deadline. And let's face it, we've heard of October deadlines that go into November, December, whatever it is before. So uh, I'm not optimistic that next week is going to yield anything, but probably just one to keep on the radar just in case any headlines do appear.
0: OK, guys, thanks very much for your contributions today and we'll speak to you again the same time next week.
1: Thank you. Thank you.